Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's Great Conversation is with Yasmin Abdel-Majid. The Final Draft Great Conversations podcast is all about books, writing, and literary culture. I'm Andrew Popel, and every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. Final Draft is dedicated to exploring Australian writing, from debut authors to household names. Every week we look into the issues that drive our storytelling, help you discover more from the books that you love. These are the stories that make us who we are. Two SER broadcasts from the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and I'm recording on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of those lands, pay my respects to their ongoing connection to their lands. This is stolen land. Treaty was never reached in Australia. Yasmin Abdel-Majid is a Sudanese-Australian writer, broadcaster and social advocate. She trained as a mechanical engineer and has worked on oil and gas rigs around Australia before becoming a writer and broadcaster. Yasmin has published a memoir, Yasmin's Story, as well as a book for younger readers, You Must Be Layla. And today she's joining me with her YA follow-up, Listen, Layla. Now, Layla is an inventor. After winning a scholarship to an exclusive school, she's now preparing for the Grand Designs Turismo, which will take her to Germany and working her hardest to win a place on the special international invention tour. But Layla's plans for conquering the world with her inventions hit a hurdle when her family must travel to Sudan to be at her grandmother's bedside. The trip challenges Layla to discover who she is beyond the world of her inventor's workshop. This is part two of my conversation with Yasmin. So if you haven't already checked it out, go back and listen to part one where Yasmin and I discuss who Layla is and some of the issues around systemic racism that bleed into the book and how Layla conceives of herself in Australia. Today on the show, though, you are going to hear what happens to Layla when she travels back to Sudan to be with her grandmother and her experience of the protests and revolution that happened in the country in 2018-2019. Join me as we discover Yasmin Abdelmajid's Listen, Layla. Let's um let's let's talk about we've we've barely we've barely left the first couple of chapters. Um Layla's yeah. Layla's plans. Layla's plans for conquering the world with her inventions uh in Listen Layla, they hit a hurdle. Her family must travel to Sudan to be at her grandmother's bedside. And this trip it challenges Layla to confront and maybe discover who she is beyond the world of her inventor's workshop. And I want to take us now to the airport. So we're only really, we're only five chapters in now. As they arrive at the airport, Layla questions why the family are lining up in the foreigner's passport line. She then has her Arabic laughed at by the customs official, who, um, who obviously hears her accent. Our teenage years are all about defining who we are. How, how does navigating that sort of personal, but I guess also that national identity, something that like me as an individual, I'm I'm only navigating my national identity as an adult. How did this impact her personal journey and perhaps also your personal journey? Yeah, I think it was super important. Um, it, it's funny because I think it's it's not the scene that people may expect to be like a moment of reckoning for a young for a young kind of like individual, like a young diaspora kid. But I know for me personally, going back. To Sudan, and I know for many friends of mine, that kind of first interaction with, you know, an Arabic-speaking official or some sort of official body or whatever, where there's a question of, can you speak the right kind of way, and can you, um, can you pass as somebody who's enough of whatever? Um, it's just something that's always in your mind, and 
and especially when you kind of land on the like Layla was born in Sudan and her family moved to Australia when she was a couple of like a child um so I think the other the other thing I want to say is I I thought it was really important for me to have this kind of like moment of reckoning like who am I and what part of you know what is really home and all these sorts of questions that all these diaspora kids have um I wanted that to happen in Sudan because I think quite often when we have conversations about like diaspora and identity it's about the um the third country it's about the Australia or the UK or the France or the United States or Canada but actually I think the more interesting question is, are you accepted back where your heritage is from? Was Leila accepted in Sudan? That was actually what mattered to her more. She kind of was more interested in proving and um, it, it meant something deep for her to be able to say that she was from this place or she belonged in that place. Um, and the, the relationship with Australia is something she thinks about you know, at various points throughout the book. But it feels less existential, I think, um, than the question about Sudan. It's it's really confronting to read that aspect of Layla's story because I think if you listen to I, I, the, the broader national dialogue around um, migration and and who who uh, a country is made up of, we have this kind of phenomenon where Australia and Sydney Sydney is absolutely guilty of it uh we enjoy the idea of um what was the 80s buzzword multiculturalism because we can be food tourists in our own city um and very rarely do you see people confront the idea that culture might (laughs) culture might encompass more than uh, a nice nice brunch on saturday right and and i think it's something that you know, Australia continues to struggle with. I mean, I think I think we're we're in such a fascinating point in 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 our kind of like histories across the world, where so many different nation states are questioning what it means to be whatever, what it means to be Australian, what it means to be American, what it means to be French. And there are some countries that have a more defined idea. They have a constitution, or they have um, a bill of rights, or or they have a thousand plus years that they can point to and say, this is how we do things here. What I think is challenging about that is like, remember, culture is allowed to change. Culture is about what the people practice. And so an obsession with stasis and an obsession with doing things as they always have been, I think is the like enemy of progress. Um, that being said, I'm, I'm kind of taking a massive tangent from the brunch point. I suppose the, the question for Australia, and the thing that I often think about Australia is that, you know, it is a country that has not dealt with its history. And so how can you have a conversation about what it means to be Australian and what Australian culture is if you cannot look back and acknowledge what has happened, um, at, at the very least acknowledge, let alone look at the process of reparations, let alone look at the process of what, you know, how to think about the land known as Australia in a way that is just Um and I mean, you need bravery and courage to do that, and that I would say is lacking um, at the moment, which uh, which is a shame because I have always thought that there is so much potential um, for Australia to. I mean, the thing I think about as somebody who had the privilege of growing up, um, you know, in in various parts of Australia is like 
we have we have access to tens of thousands of years of knowledge and the oldest continuing living like living civilization i mean isn't that the most incredible thing why wouldn't you want that to be part of your story part of your, why wouldn't you want that to be why wouldn't you want to learn the language to understand the relationship with the land like aren't these all incredibly rich things i mean you know in the UK, people are pretty like excited that they've got a building that's a thousand years old, and you're like, "Well, cool," but you know, these folks have like sixty thousand year old paintings, bruv. Like, what of it? But we haven't been able to, we haven't, yeah, we haven't been able to do that. It's so Not fraught because it's <laughs> yeah, so, it's, sorry. So, it's so fraught though because. On the one hand, it would be nice to have those bragging rights, and they say, "Yeah, really cool, that's amazing," and they go, "Oh, well, actually, no, we sold it to a mining company who blew it up." Yeah, blew it up. I mean, that well, that's what happens, right? Mm. That's what happens when you're unable to to deal with your with yourself. Um, and and to be honest, like I personally, this is and this is a, a thought again. We're kind of straying a bit from <laughs> from the listen later context, but this is actually something that Leila thinks about because as she's you know in Sudan and she's learning about the protests that are happening in Sudan, she then starts to reflect on like what's happening back in Australia and, and her uh, responsibility, you know, to, to kind of justice movements in Australia. And it's something that I have spent quite a lot of time reflecting on, especially since I've left, I would say more so since I've left. What is the responsibility of folks like myself who, you know, are people of colour, are racialized, have challenges, but also... Uh, you know, potentially, or I was settler on a land, participating in the kind of like ongoing colonization. What is it? What does it mean to live ethically and justly in that kind of context? Don't know the answer, but certainly important questions to be constantly interrogating. Let's and let's interrogate it then in the context of listen, Layla, because this is just the most incredible part of the story. As as Layla must confront the changes to the Sudan that she knew when she was younger. She hasn't been back for, I think it's about five years. And you depict Mm. events around the Sudanese uprising of 2018-19 that saw pro-democracy protesters overthrow a repressive military government through non-violent civil disobedience, which, I mean, just just the idea of that, it gives me chills, like, to, to read about. Layla really quickly, she wants to throw herself into this fight and it's against the will of her parents, which she really has to confront this idea that she's certain she's right, but she's being told no. It was really challenging in terms of, I guess, narrative identification as well, because we're, we're in Layla's point of view. We want to identify with her, but I could also see her parents being like, okay, this is really dangerous and you are being naive to think that it's not. But I, I was curious about that. Should teenagers, this was uh, an uprising that was led by the youth of, of Sudan. In fact, should we all, though, be more interested in these social justice issues that are defining our lives, whether we pay attention to them or not? Yeah, there's a real push and pull, isn't there, I think, mm. for Leila. And I hope people kind of, I'm glad that you got the sense of kind of the complexity of it, right? The real desire to want to be part of something but also the very real consequences that exist when you when you're up against like quite powerful and and and, and violent systems. Um, I know that it's this this kind of tension was a reflection of my own experiences when I you know I was in Sudan in 2012 for the first attempt 
at an uprising, like the sort of post, it was in the in the wake of the what is known as the Arab Spring movements or the Arab Revolution movements in the early 2011-12. And Sudan had its attempt at that point, and I was there, and I was blogging, and I really wanted to get involved. And my family was like, "Don't you dare, because you can get out, but we can't. Um, you have a passport to leave." You know, but we we will like we have to deal with the consequences here, and there's this real uh, dilemma of you as an individual wanting to do what you think is right and just, but knowing that that could cause hurt and harm to your loved ones, um, and because that's what you know oppressive governments do they they don't only just beat you up they beat your family up they beat your friends up like that's what happens, um, and. And I've never been able to um, to fully resolve that, but I wanted to explore that tension for Layla. And also, I think it's important for people to kind of understand. It's not as if Layla was always political. She didn't grow up kind of being like, she wasn't like out of the room, you know, let's fight for freedom and justice. Mm-hmm. She got there and was like, oh, this is actually a really important thing. And, oh, my cousins are, my cousins care about this a lot. Maybe I should learn about it. And I wanted to share that for two reasons. One, um, to encourage, as as you point out, Andrew, everyone to get involved, no matter how old you are, because I think I think we need the energy of young people, um, and we need the wisdom of of you know folks who may have a few more years on their belt, and we kind of we need every, what everyone can bring to the table. But also, I think for me, it's important it was important to show that like the movement wasn't about gatekeeping. It wasn't about, Oh, you don't know enough. So you can't come. It was, Oh, you want to get involved and now you care about this. Okay, let's go. You know, like, all right, you can fight for this as well. And and I think that's important because sometimes we feel like, Oh, we can't get involved unless we know all the words or we know all the things. And it's like, you're, the learning is important, but also be there with us. Like that, solidarity is is about like getting involved and then staying there and holding on as tight as you can i pardon me <coughs> i was also just really interested in the way you portrayed the different perspectives because i find it's something that we need to challenge here in australia and yeah um and layla starts to question her responsibility if if she is going to be this politically involved in Sudan, what does that mean for her life when she returns to Brisbane? And even it just conversations that I have every day, conversations that I have with my parents, I realise that not having these things front of mind can make you feel powerless or make you feel like you don't have a way to impact. Like talking, talking to my parents, they have this incredibly nihilistic idea of, um, of the government as this place where the people are all bastards but you can't do anything about it and it's that's just completely disempowering there's a certain level of privilege that goes with that disempowerment because you live a comfortable enough life you can afford to um just Mm. go along with things but having it front of mind and continually pushing as Layla does was just it was just terrific to see that you talked earlier about not having all the answers but I mean we don't the answer is kind of like the end and when we're when we're alive, it's all about just yeah. asking the questions. Yeah. yeah, I don't think we ever get there. And I think you're totally right. Like I, I think it's um, 
it's it's also you know as these things are incredibly complex because and one of and you point out the different perspectives. I really wanted to show that like not everybody agree like Layla's mum doesn't necessarily agree with the way that protests happen. Layla's dad has a different view. Her uncle has a different view. And the reality is, even when a, a country is overthrowing its government, everyone has different views. Everyone has a different take, right? Because humans are human and they're complex and they've all got their different histories and um, perspectives and traumas and agendas. And But ultimately, hopefully enough people feel like it's worth it that, that the change happens. And, you know... And even after the protests and after the overthrowing, there's so much work to be done after that as well. But um, the, 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 hopefully the encouragement to just keep asking questions and the encouragement to be like, all right, let's just take the next step. Let's just focus on the next thing. Um, at least for, you know, the people reading this and Layla, hopefully this will encourage them mm. to do and, this and we've somehow we've somehow managed to have this conversation with without – destroying any of the incredible plot points that kind of drive yes. Layla's story forward. <laughs> there is so much to discover in this book. I am speaking with Yasmin Abdel-Majid. Her new novel is Listen, Layla. Yasmin, thank you. This has been just such an incredible chat and I want people to discover this conversation because it opens up so much of that book. Thank you. Thank you so much for me, Andrew. And you're, and also just to echo what you were saying earlier, I know it sounds really heavy, but it's actually like quite a fun, a fun and enjoyable and not too heavy read. It'll just hopefully make you think a lot, which is just what I like to do with my books. That's it for this great conversation with Yasmin Abdel-Majid. Yasmin's new YA novel, Listen, Layla, is out now from Penguin. Great Conversations is recorded on the lands of the Darug and Gundungurra people. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. Stay in touch. We are on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. It's at FinalDraft2SER. Subscribe in your podcast app. This week alone, you would have gotten two episodes just uh, focusing on Yasmin Abdel-Majid. There are also, there's a new feature, the Final Draft 2SER Book Club. It's a three to five minute introduction to a new book that helps you get an idea of whether you're going to like it and what issues it's going to help you deal with. My name is Andrew Popel. I'll be back next week with more great conversations from Final Draft. Till then, happy reading. See you later.